Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. So let's pray together. Our Father, this morning we acknowledge our awareness of sin, both the sin of a broken world that started in the garden, but also the sin of our own hearts as we tend towards meeting our own needs in our own way. And Lord, we've lived in the prodigal's shoes where we tried to manufacture meaning through self. But Lord, we've also lived in the shoes of the older brother, the self-righteous one, thinking we're better than the, the person next to us. So Lord, we acknowledge our need of forgiveness this day. And Lord, as we think of this grace, this unmerited favor that we've been given through this sacrifice of your own son, We're thankful for the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, the vision you gave Bill and Vanette Bright a long time ago when they strove to reach out to college kids in Los Angeles. And Lord, how that vision has expanded to include the Jesus film and this ministry reaching every tribe, every nation, every language, every culture. Lord, we understand that your gospel can penetrate each of us and any of us. And we just pray for this ongoing ministry with the living stones, Father, that you would bless them as they stay faithful and have stayed faithful for so long. But this reminds us too that we continue to need the gospel, not just for salvation, but to live faithfully in this crazy world that has forgotten you. And Lord, we pray that when people look in on Grace Community Church, they would see a people that are living in unity, not because everybody believes the same about everything, but because of your Holy Spirit. And they would be intrigued by that. Lord, that they would look in on Grace Community Church and see hope, a hope that reaches into those that are broken, those that are in the shadows of life, those that think they have it all together and realize that they don't. So Father, we are not embarrassed today to admit that we need you and continue to need you. And we humbly ask, Father, that you would draw us closer to your son, Jesus, even this morning. We pray humbly, Father, too, that you would speak through your servant, speak through Pastor Mike, as he preaches about heaven, which is our next stop if we know you. We pray especially that we would see Jesus for who he really is this day, the only way to heaven, the exclusivity of the God-man, the only way to satisfy a righteous and holy God through this sacrifice of your son. So Father, be glorified. May we be subservient as your Holy Spirit prompts us, molds us, changes us from the inside out. We're confident, Lord, that you would make us a little bit more like Jesus because of our time together. Be glorified now, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. 
So let me ask you a question this morning. Have you heard the one about the banker, the lawyer, and the pastor who died and went to heaven? They were met at the gate by St. Peter and, and I'll stop right there. Some of you are a little worried about what in the world is he going to say next, and a few of you are wondering what the rest of that story is all about. Here's the deal. So much of our culture has formed their understanding of heaven from jokes, lighthearted stories, apocryphal literature, that means books other than the Bible, that describe what people like to think heaven is really like. And as a result of that, as a result of, for example, lighthearted stories about St. Peter at the gate, we form the opinion and the idea that heaven is a gated community with a guard shack in which Peter or maybe Michael or maybe Gabriel stand guard, and that once you are admitted, you are admitted because of something you said that was right or something you did or the number of things that you did. Once you are admitted, there are so many descriptions of what heaven is like. In fact, as many as there are stars in the sky because that's how many bestseller books have been written about my eight hours in heaven or what it was like when I died and went to heaven. It's amazing how many millions of people buy those books but friends, I want to tell you something. They are not the authority for heaven. The authority for heaven is the word of God. And so this morning, I invite you to study about heaven with me, not on the New York Times bestseller list, not looking at lighthearted stories about heaven, by looking at the authority of the word of God. Now, the reason we're going to study heaven today is because today we're launching a five-part sermon series called Eternity. And the reason we're launching a sermon series about eternity is actually threefold. First of all, because the whole idea of eternity always piques the curiosity of Christians and non-Christians alike. People are interested in the future. Things that they don't know about, they want to hear about them. Can you tell me any details about them? Secondly, eternity is foundational for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. It's the reason that we can live free of the fear of death and live in the absolute living and joyful hope of eternity in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we're going to preach about eternity because this is a reality that every one of us will face someday. No one is excluded from facing the reality of eternity. I grew up in a home in which I was not shielded from death. In fact, it was just very much a natural part of life, and so my mother and dad talked about it that way, and when I was a child, we would go to funerals, to viewings and to funerals. In fact, living in New Danville, most of those viewings and funerals were held at Gundle Funeral Home on Main Street in Conestoga. Till would open the door, that's Mrs. Gundle, and Oss Gundle would greet us, and it just became part of, of life, and, and that's how I grew up, understanding in a very natural way, and I think a very healthy way, about death and about eternal life. Somehow in our culture, we've lost some of that because we've, we've made death something to be so fearful of instead of something to understand through the eyes and the lens of Scripture. So let's begin the Eternity series today by asking the question, what will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? And the best place to begin in answering that question is to ask another question, where in the world is heaven? Where is heaven? Uh, the references to heaven in the scripture, either in the Hebrew or the Greek language, always use words that refer to sky or air, which is why whenever we talk about heaven, we have a tendency to look up 
because that's how we view heaven. And that's actually very good because there are really three different heavens that are described in the scripture. The first heaven is the heaven that we view with the lens of our own eyes. And that is when you walk outside into this beautiful day, you look around, you look up in the sky, that is the first heaven. But there's a second heaven, and that second heaven can only be viewed through the lens of a telescope. It's the solar system, it's space, and that's the second heaven, not visible to our naked eye, but visible through a telescope, through the lens of a telescope. There is, however, a third heaven. The Apostle Paul talks about the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. And the third heaven that he talks about is only visible through the lens of Scripture. It is the heaven that is the subject of this sermon. It's the heaven where God has his throne. It is the heaven where the angels reside in joyful assembly. It is the heaven where every man or woman, young person, child, who knows and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ lives forever with God and his son Jesus Christ. So this is the heaven that David is talking about in Psalm 139. When he says to God, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. It's the heaven that Isaiah refers to when in prayer he calls on God to look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Heaven is the location of God's throne in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Where is heaven? Listen, there are some people who actually say to you that heaven is what you make it. So your heaven and the only heaven you ever know is this earth. And so if you want heaven, you better make a good life for yourself on this earth because that's your heaven. That is absolutely false. Absolutely not true. There are other people who would say, well, you know, heaven really doesn't exist. It's a nice thought to make people feel better about their future. That is absolutely false. Listen, friends, heaven is a real place. Jesus himself said that he came from that real place called heaven, John chapter 6, verse 38. And on the day of Jesus' ascension, 40 days after his resurrection, an angel declared that Jesus would return to that real place called heaven so that he might prepare there a place for all of us. Where is heaven? It is a real place beyond the lens of our eyes, beyond the lens of telescopes, through the lens of Scripture, we have absolute confidence that it is the place of God's throne, the place of angelic celebration of God's person. It is the place where all those that we knew, who knew Jesus Christ and are now dead, actually are very much alive in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. That leads to a second question. How do we get to heaven? How do we get to heaven? Now, that's the question that Jesus' disciples asked that led Jesus' response in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. In John chapter 13, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about his own death and resurrection. And they didn't understand what he was talking about. They couldn't imagine his death, much less his resurrection. And they became actually very upset, very emotional about the idea that they might actually lose Jesus, that he might leave them and go somewhere else. And so finally, it would be Peter, right, who broke silence and said, Jesus, this can't be. This can't be. You, you can't keep saying this. Where are you going? And Jesus responded at the end of John 13 by saying, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Their anxiety heightened even more. 
And so Jesus said these words in John 14, verses one through six. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, that's heaven, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, one of his followers, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how could we possibly know the way? And Jesus said so powerfully, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can you say that with me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do you get to heaven? How do you get into the presence of God? How do you live forever in this glorious, real place? The answer is that you get there through the only way possible. And the only way possible has a name. And you know his name, don't you? His name is? And Jesus alone. You know, it's interesting when you look at the culture in which we live, when you consider even the church of Jesus Christ, there are a lot of people who are doing their very best to get to heaven. Now, there's a problem with what I just said. Did you pick up on that? They're doing their very best to get to heaven. How many of you are members of a rewards program somewhere? You know, and they ask for your phone number, your card, or that type of thing. I happen to be a member of the uh, Chick-fil-A rewards program. <laughs> no big surprise there. I have a, an app here on my phone. I don't normally bring my phone, but I, um, I revealed how many points I have, and I am now guarding my phone throughout the day. Um, I have 10,925 available points for Chick-fil-A. Pastor David has 304. Um, <laughs> Isn't that what you told me last night? Yes, you can't take it with you. I can't? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> he just said you can't take it with you. I said that's not fair. I can leave it to my girls. <laughs> They'll open my app and say, look at that. Dad left us. No, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> now, here's the deal. The way you accumulate points in a rewards program is you become a frequent flyer. And so I'm a frequent flyer at Chick-fil-A. I pull up to the drive-thru, and when they hear my voice, they know what I want, and pretty much there we are. We're just off and running. I don't even have to say much. But uh, it's amazing when you buy enough. My mother-in-law used to say, the more you buy, the more you save. My father-in-law didn't like that, but that's what she used to say. The more you buy, the more you save. And so what you do is you buy things, and you accumulate points. You go there often and you accumulate points. The way rewards programs work is if you do more, you will get more. And sadly, there are people who think that's the way heaven works. If you do more, you will get closer to heaven than you are now. If you give more, if you work more, if you are more religious now than you were two years ago, then you will get enough rewards that maybe, just maybe, when you die, the door will be opened and you can go to heaven. 
I'm going to tell you something. That's absolutely false. That's not how it works. And the good news is how it works. The good news is it's not what you do. It's not how religious you are. It's not how many works you accumulate. It has nothing to do with how much you give. It is not your role, your participation. It lies solely and completely on the merit and the work of Jesus Christ, who died for us in the cross, rose again on the third day, lives today, and offers to us, now get this, the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, a new and eternal life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a frequent flyer in church. Let me tell you, I got all you beat on that one. Not because I'm here more than anybody else. Not because I'm ordained as a pastor. Not because I've lived whatever number of years I've lived and, and I've served the Lord. I'm going to heaven for the same reason you are. If you know Jesus Christ, it's because of his work, his merit, not yours and not mine. So... How do you get to heaven? Well, how do you get to heaven? He has a name. His name is? Which leads to a third question. When will Christians experience heaven? When will we experience heaven? And when we experience it, what will it be like? Now, to answer that question, I'm going to draw from a book that I have found to be incredibly helpful in my own studies in eternity and heaven in the afterlife. It's a book entitled, What Happens When Christians Die? Okay, what happens after I die? What happens after I die was written by Dr. Michael Rogers, who is the now retired pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church on the Oregon Pike here in Lancaster County. And, and Dr. Rogers actually taught this series of lessons in a Sunday school class, and he committed them to this book, What Happens After I Die, and it gives language that is so powerful and so helpful in understanding heaven. Let me share with you today that there is an immediate heaven and there is a final heaven. Put those together, and you have the fullness of God's gift of heaven. When, as a Christian, you die, you will then experience the immediate heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment that death comes, you are ushered into the very presence of God, and you will be face to face with Jesus Christ. According to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, when you go into heaven immediately after death, you will be greeted by countless thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You will then pass by the church of the firstborn, and you will see all those who have gone on ahead of you who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see all those that you long to see, and then the word of God says you will come face to face with Jesus Christ and you will see the one who died for you and rose again and lives today as Savior and Lord of your life. The psalmist Asaph in Psalm 73 describes this earth and eternity in this way. He says, you, God, guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me up into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. You might remember that as he was dying at the hands of an angry mob, the first Christian martyr of the church in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, looked up to heaven and he cried out, I see heaven open and the Son of Man 
standing at the right hand. He was talking about that paradise that Jesus described to the thief that was dying on the cross next to him when he said to him on the day of his own death, today you shall be with me in paradise. This is the immediate heaven that is immediately experienced when a follower of Jesus Christ dies. Dr. Rogers writes, departure from our physical bodies begins the sweet reality of heaven for the saints of God. The immediate heaven, it's where you and I will be when we leave this earth by death. When I was growing up, my grandmother would never say of someone who died, he or she went to heaven. She would always say, he or she went into the presence of the Lord. And that really is what the Bible teaches, that immediately upon death, we will go immediately into the presence of the Lord. The Bible doesn't give us intense detail about what that will be like. We have to trust and have faith that if we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be absolutely astounding. Now, that is not all there is to heaven. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, we will then experience what Michael Rogers calls the final heaven. When God created this earth, it was perfect. You realize that, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It was called Eden, and it was filled with God's splendor and glory, and the best way I can describe it is to say that it was heaven on earth. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. And in Genesis chapter 3, sin came into the world, and the world fell and became corrupted. Michael Rogers says it well when he writes, Heaven, in a true sense, was separated from earth by Adam's sin. Eden fled from the precincts of earth, and no archaeologist has located any geographical remains of the Garden of Eden. However, at the time that Jesus Christ comes again, and by his mighty power, Jesus will rescue this sinful, fallen, and broken world. He will break the power that the devil has over this world as the prince of the air. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says that at the second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus will cast the devil into a pit of burning sulfur and once and for all destroy him and his devilish power. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, amen. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus will break the power that sin has over the world and deliver the world from the clutches of that sin. He will destroy death completely and he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. He will not just renew, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Literally, think of it this way, heaven will come to earth and we will live in that planned perfection on this earth together once again. The word of God describes this in Revelation chapter 21, verses one through four. 
John the Revelator writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Michael Rogers writes, put to death mythology and the fantasies that you've collected about the cloudland version of heaven. Let me just stop there and say, that never excited me. The idea that when I die, I would spend eternity floating on a cloud, plucking at a harp. I mean, honestly, I'm not musical to begin with. But the last thing I want to do is float aimlessly around the sky with a harp and a white robe. I mean, I don't look good in white, but that doesn't, it brings out my hair. But anyway, I don't like that. So, so why would I be excited about a cloud and a harp? No, that's not what the new heaven and new earth will be. Michael Rogers writes, put to death mythology and the fantasies that you collected about the cloudland version of heaven and replace them with the concept that we will walk in a perfect world, barefoot on the Gulf of Mexico stands, camping out in a perfect woods in Maine and climbing a perfect Pikes Peak. All of this will be God's new earth. That is the heaven that awaits us for eternity. We'll be living in that heaven and enjoying all the glories of what this world was intended to be before sin came into the world. You won't be on a cloud. You won't be playing a harp. You won't be dressed in a white robe. You won't be on a toilet paper commercial, for goodness sakes. That is not what heaven is. The biblical truth about heaven is the powerful, robust truth that this world in which we live will be completely transformed by the power of God and made perfect again. What a glorious truth that is. What a glorious truth that is. The final heaven will be absolutely perfect. Revelation 21 and 22 make this truth so abundantly clear. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. No more sin, impurity, shame, or deceit. No more night, no more sickness, no more pain. Do you realize that in this, in this new heaven and new earth, our bodies will be absolutely perfect bodies? Our minds will be absolutely perfect minds. Now, I've preached about heaven over the years, and I know what's gonna happen later on. Some of you are gonna come and say, now, which version of my body will I get? Will that be age 30 or age 40 or age 50? I mean, it's unbelievable. People ask me those questions, you know. And then my answer is, you just have to pray about it right now and put your order in. No, that's not what you do. <laughs> it's not what you do. I have no idea. But listen, if you can trust Jesus to save you, you can trust him to give you the right kind of body. Amen? Amen. Okay, there you go. I was personally a little offended when Pastor Paul opened and said that Pastor Mike is a big Chick-fil-A guy. I didn't really <laughs> like that very much, so I'm going for a smaller version of me. It doesn't matter. You can trust Jesus 
it will be perfect. Our daughter Carolyn is pursuing a grad degree at Villanova University, and so universities know what they're doing. They got her mom and dad on their mail list because, you know, they can call us and ask us for money. <laughs> they can call us as much as they want and ask us for money. <laughs> They're not going to get any. But anyway, we get their magazine. Their magazine came in the mail on Friday. Yesterday, had a little extra time. I opened their magazine, was reading through. There was a feature article in the magazine about the new stained glass windows in their chapel. And they had a picture of one of those stained glass windows. And their stained glass windows represent the saints of the church. And, and in this particular case, however, it represented a man that they greatly revere because they call him a servant of God. He made a difference in Villanova's history. And the history of this man's life is that he was, um, he was greatly injured in a tobogganing accident when he was a young man and ended up as a quadriplegic. But he trusted the Lord and he made his way through that experience to continue to serve the Lord significantly and then went home to be with Jesus. They've created the stained glass window and it shows this man standing upright with his hands out. And if you look closely at the stained glass window, at his feet are the pieces of his motorized wheelchair broken down. Because as the Villanova magazine described, a follower of Jesus Christ in death will experience a full and complete healing in eternal life. You realize that that's true. That there will be no cancer, no heart disease, no paralysis, no need for walking aids or wheelchairs. The quadriplegic, the paraplegic will be running and dancing and fully restored and fully healed. Those that we know and love so dearly who have sunk into a certain dementia will have a clear mind, will know everybody's name, will be able to enjoy everything that is happening around them because heaven is a place of absolute perfection. Heaven is also stunning in its beauty. In Revelation chapter 21, John describes heaven and he talks about how heaven's foundations will be created from gemstones and how the gates will be large pearls, and how the, the pavement will be gold. I've been asked over the years, do you really believe that that's what it's gonna be like? Oh, I believe it's gonna be far greater than that. I believe that our human language doesn't even have enough words to describe the absolute stunning glory of heaven. I remember when I was traveling in India and we went to see the Taj Mahal, when I was visiting our churches in India, and I was asked the question, would you like to see the Taj Mahal? I thought they meant like, you know, 15 minutes around the corner. Three hours later on a taxi ride, yes, we saw the Taj Mahal. We had a, guard, a guide. The guide said, just like heaven. It will be just like heaven. Because he knew that the description of heaven was gemstones in the foundation. And the Taj Mahal is a white marble building that has embedded all over it beautiful and very precious gemstones. But let me tell you something. I don't know what they do with photographs, but they must use some type of airbrush because the Taj Mahal that I saw in books and that I saw in postcards was not the dirty, grimy one that I was visiting. Because that white marble 
was hmm. And the gemstones, it looked like some people were prying them out to take them home as souvenirs. And then the guy told us, this is a tomb. I didn't know that. Did you know that? The Taj Mahal is a tomb that holds the body of a queen built by her husband. And I thought to myself, this is not heaven. Heaven isn't a tomb that's grimy and greasy with missing gemstones. Heaven is a living place ruled by a living Lord filled with living saints who have trusted Jesus Christ. It will be glorious beyond any expectation that you and I would have. It will indeed be beyond description. Pastor Jack Hayford, who pastored in Los Angeles for many years, told this story, and I quote him. It was a deeply sobering day when I came to Carl's room in the hospital knowing that he had only a matter of hours to live. So as I sat with Carl, I said, Carl, how are you feeling? Carl was a man of deep faith and commitment to Jesus Christ, and he was also a very experienced and highly respected lighting director at CBS Corporation. Carl looked at me, and his eyes misted slightly, and he said, Pastor Jack, you know, when you're in my business, the lighting business for TV shows and movies, it's the combination of the lights, the skill at blending light to create special effects. That's what my job is all about. And I have thoroughly loved that job. Carl went on, this morning I woke up and in the quiet of my heart, as I wrestled with the reality that my life would soon end, I heard Jesus speak to me. And he simply said, Carl, how would you like to direct a sunset? Do you know what that meant to a lighting director? How would you like to direct a sunset? Hayford goes on and says, I don't know whether we'll direct sunsets. What I do know is that heaven will be beyond any description, any thought, any imagination that I could possibly have. God will literally knock us off our feet with his glorious splendor in heaven. Which leads to one last question. One last question. Are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? Some people will respond to that in their mind by saying, well, you know what? I'll think about that later on. I'm 24. I don't need to worry about that right now. Let the 80-year-olds worry about that. I'll think about that later. Other people will say, ah, I'd like to think I am. I'm just not sure. You can know with absolute certainty today 
that whenever the day of death comes, it might be two months, it might be 30 years, 50 years, but you can know with absolute certainty today that when that day comes, and it will come for all of us, unless Jesus comes first, and if Jesus comes first, you want to make sure you're ready then. You can know that you know that you know that you will live forever with Jesus Christ in heaven. There are not a lot of things that I know with absolute certainty in my life, but this is one that I am absolutely sure of. When I die, I will literally, in a split second, cross a threshold between earth and heaven, and I will see Jesus Christ face to face. I know that. I'm confident of it. I live with that confidence. Do you? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, would you move and work in powerful ways in this place today? If there are any here who are unsure, any here who lack the confidence that when they die, they will go with absolute assurance to live with you forever in heaven, then I pray that today, today would be the day. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.